Good morning, everyone. Let's pray again. That's how I start every sermon. So we're going to do back-to-back prayers in each church, so it's totally cool. Will you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing to you, you, the one who is our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. Yes, friends, we are still making our way through the Gospel of Luke. It is our focus this year, and we are not letting up yet, I'm determined. So we will be in the 17th chapter, and believe it or not, Jesus and his disciples are still journeying on their way to Jerusalem. So not much has changed in that sense of it. We're going to be in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 men with skin diseases approached him. Keeping their distance from him, They raised their voices and said together, Jesus, Master, show us mercy. When Jesus saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. As they left, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he had been healed, returned and praised God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus replied, weren't ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? No one returned to praise God except this foreigner. Then Jesus said to him, get up and go. Your faith has healed you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let the church say, thanks be to God. It's confession time. I am really into crime-solving shows. Not the real-life stories. I like the fiction ones. I'm talking about your CSI, your NCIS, Criminal Minds, Bones, Castle, Law & Order, Law & Order SVU, Law & Order Organized Crime. Okay, all of the Law & Orders. Usually, this is something I don't broadcast to the world, but I feel like I can trust most of you here not to judge me too deeply. I like knowing that within 40 minutes, the crime is going to be solved, or at least leave me in some satisfied place. I really enjoy watching those montages where they're putting trace elements through the mass spectrometer or where they're outlining blood patterns and taking photos of the scene, it really soothes me. (laughs) Okay, enough with me being very weird. Uh, Something that I have found interesting in a lot of these types of shows is when a crime takes place, and sometimes the jurisdiction is called into question, who's in charge of the crime scene? So sometimes maybe it happens right outside of an official city line, and it isn't technically a part of a city investigation. Or maybe the crime involves a diplomat or a military person, so it's not really clear who has the power to take over the case. Sometimes one crime-solving agency wants it over another one, and there's a lot of drama. 
Other times, it seems like the ball keeps getting passed because no one wants to take responsibility of wherever this crime took place. There's also some episodes, trust me, I've seen a lot of them, y'all, where criminals seek out these in-between spaces, these spaces where no one's sure on jurisdiction because they know how dicey it can be to have a crime solved adequately in those locations in those border areas. As I read our passage for today, I found myself dragged into one of those kinds of scenes. Luke sets up the story in a no man's land, this area between Galilee and Samaria, the borderlands where dangerous things occur, where people are exiled to, where lines are blurred, where jurisdiction may come into question. And we see the type of people that are inhabiting these spaces, who are inhabiting the borderlands. Ten men with skin diseases. Their respective cultures and backgrounds aren't given at the beginning of our passage, but we come to learn that these ten men consist of Jewish people and Samaritans in this space between outcasts from different backgrounds seem to come together and they seem to have built their own community. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to the border of Mexico in the United States with a group of United Methodists. We were there to learn how immigrants were being treated on the border in what ways our global church could help ease some of those tensions. We spent time in Brownsville, Texas at court hearings, and we also spent time in migrant camps just over the border in Matamoros, Mexico. I took a lot away from this trip, but one thing that sticks out to me when talking about borderlands is this unique way I witnessed people of different backgrounds coming together at this tension-filled location. While I was traveling with United Methodist clergy, we visited with Catholic churches and people of other denominations. We also met with people who had a faith outside of Christianity and some people with no affiliations at all to religion. In the migrant camps, we talked with migrants from a number of different countries, of different socioeconomic backgrounds, of different beliefs. In order for us to learn about the situation, we had to come together with the people living at the border, a diverse community of people facing diverse circumstances, yet all with one goal in mind. They were looking for safety, for hope, for a future. In desperate places, the labels and differentiations become irrelevant. Survival and a deep need for community take precedence. These 10 men in our scripture reading were ostracized from their communities. The laws and practices of both the Jewish people and the Samaritans made their isolation a necessary part of life 
for the health of the larger communities. When these men were shunned, they were forced into this borderland, and out of necessity, they gravitated toward others who were experiencing a similar thing. The 10 men seem to be a community when they approach Jesus, when they approach Jesus from a distance respectfully. They seem to be of one mind and of one purpose. They're seeking healing. People from different backgrounds come together looking for hope. This community of outsiders see Jesus and they together approach him. And they yell out, Jesus, Master, show us mercy. In all of Luke's gospel, only three characters ever call Jesus by his actual name, Jesus. And typically, only the disciples refer to Jesus as master. These two labels, Jesus and master, that they give Jesus right away, demonstrate the expectancy they hold, the passion with which they cry out. These men take initiative in their healing, in their desire for redemption, and their yearning to be back in their respective communities. There's something admirable in this kind of boldness and the fact that each of them approach Jesus together. They're all looking for the same thing. And we don't see them yell over one another or be the first to get to Jesus. Instead, they go together. They're not functioning out of scarcity. There's no fear here that Jesus may only be able to heal just one of them or that Jesus may prioritize some of them over others. It demonstrates just how tight-knit this borderland community has become and how respectful and caring they are toward one another. When was the last time that you were a part of a community that truly respected and cared for one another, where competition was unnecessary, where certain people didn't dictate the moves of the body, where you all functioned seamlessly and for this greater good. It seems almost too good to be true, like a pipe dream or a utopia. But there's something about these 10 people that gives us hope that we too can be a part of communities where every person is valued, where our collective good is prioritized. How do we become people who hold this type of vision for the future close to our hearts? How do we work toward a community like this, one demonstrated to us by outsiders who are cast off into the borderlands? Once these men cry out, we get the 14th verse, and I'm going to read it again for us right here. When Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. As they left, they were cleansed. It's 
pretty anticlimactic. There's no 40 minutes necessary to get to the resolution here like in most of my crime shows. Jesus doesn't even approach them. He doesn't touch them. He just sees them. And he gives them the command to go to the priest. And it's on their way to the priest that they are healed. I kind of love that it's anticlimactic because it signifies to me that there's more here than just a healing story. There's more here for us to see, for us to glean from this encounter. It can be tricky for preachers to preach on healing stories. As Christians, we all believe that Jesus had this miraculous power that we see demonstrated throughout the Gospels. We all also believe that miracles still happen today. And yet, talking about these kinds of passages can be really triggering to those of us who have been longing for healing and feel overlooked or unseen. We believe in healing, but then what do we do in moments where we don't see it happen? When instead we see death or suffering or worsening conditions. It's tricky and it's something that we each have to acknowledge. What does it mean for us to be bold and to call out Jesus by name and still feel like we're suffering. In those moments, the presence of God is what we cling to. That even in our yearning, God is yearning alongside us. We are not alone, even while we continue to search for healing and hope. After the ten men are healed, one of them takes notice of the healing. He sees what's happened to his skin, and he turns back and goes to Jesus. And he praises God with a loud voice. He actually falls on his face at Jesus' feet and thanks Jesus. It's an extraordinary act of gratitude. The man looks down and realizes he's been healed. They haven't even made it to the priest yet, and already they're healed. I wonder in what ways healing may already be taking place in our lives, and we've struggled to look down and recognize it. I wonder in what ways we are currently overlooking healing in our world and in our homes and in our own lives. It's only after Jesus, this man comes to Jesus and thanks him that we find out that this man who's returned is a Samaritan. Someone Jewish people see kind of outside of their own circles. And it's that one who comes back. Jesus then makes this statement. Jesus questions, where are the others who were healed? No one else came to praise God except for the foreigner? Jesus already knows the answer to this question. 
Jesus knows that the other men have continued on to the temple to do what Jesus asked them to do originally, to present themselves to the priest so that they can once again enter their communities. Jesus asks this question not for an answer, but to draw attention to the extraordinariness of the Samaritan man's actions. Instead of running back to his community, where he would probably have been welcomed back into the fold, he instead goes to give credit where his healing comes from. The Samaritan praises God and thanks Jesus. Every week, we gather together here in this space as the body of Christ. We sing together we engage in liturgy, liturgy together. We open our Bibles and invite God to speak to us. Worship is one of those ways that we recognize the healing that's taken place in each of our lives. It's where we stop, run to God, and give thanks. There will be moments, even in worship, where we find ourselves yearning for more, yearning for a specific healing or a specific miracle, and still we come and gather, and we acknowledge that even in our yearning, God is still present. Just as the Samaritan takes time to give thanks, so do we when we come together and worship. Worship is about recognizing the way God is working out in the world and in our own lives. Being in this type of special community and worshiping together is just one way we work to bring the reign of God here to earth. Samaritans play a really large role in Luke's narrative. Jesus uses the Samaritans to demonstrate that the love of God is not only just for one nation, it's for all people. Earlier in Luke's gospel, we see Jesus answer the question of what the greatest commandment is. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus uses the story of the good Samaritan, the one we talked about a few weeks ago, to demonstrate that love your neighbor piece. And I think that this story, the story of the 10 healed men and the Samaritan who returns to give thanks, demonstrate the love thy neighbor through the community they've built. And it also demonstrates the rest of that commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Jesus uses this experience in the borderlands with the outcast of society to show what it means to have faith and hope, what it means to truly love God, what it means to live out the greatest commandments. And he demonstrates it through Samaritans people who Jesus' own community looked down upon. As each of us continue to yearn for healing, may we recognize the healing that's already taking place in each of our lives. And may we continue to yearn for more. May we give God thanks 
and remember the many ways Jesus uses these unusual, ordinary, outcast type of people and makes a claim that yes, the kingdom of God is for them too. It's for each of us. May it be so. I invite us all now to take a few moments reflecting on our own communities and how we may work toward healing and hope for the collective good. <laughs> 